suppose sometimes the, the, the feeling is as you come towards uh, September, you want to you wanna, like, really kick things off. And I suppose as we uh, we're still feel like we're, we're waiting to hear from the Lord, we're still like dreaming and we're still planning. People have been on holidays. So it feels like we're, we're, we're maybe at the start of September, we're starting to tiptoe towards what we think God has for us as we consider youth, as we consider our kids. Uh, what we want to what we want to see happen in the life of in the lives of our kids here within the church as well and and um, and just I suppose beginning to plan for for all of that. Um, so I just want to continue on I suppose with a wee bit of a with a wee bit of a theme. I hope it's not something that is going to become tedious because I, I know that I'm I've been sharing this sort of stuff not only from here. But also just in general conversation, because um, this idea of, of being curious, the importance of being curious, uh, just continues to be the thing that is just so at the forefront of my mind. So whether it's coming to prepare for a Sunday morning or whether it's just in general conversation, it's just right there. And uh, and so forgive me if I uh, sound like I've got nothing else to say. <laughs> um, but I've just continued to recognize um, whether, whether it's just within, within friendships, whether it's just within regards to relationships, but most significantly with regards to relationship with, with God, curiosity has just become really important for me. Asking questions has become something that has really helped define and develop relationship with God and with others. And so I suppose it's why I, I want to I just want to continue on with that again. The last time I spoke, well, I conversed with Jackie last week, but the last time I spoke, I, uh, I looked at the question that Jesus asked the disciples, and I think he still asks today because he's so wanting to probe a little deeper into our soul. He's wanting us to plumb a little deeper into what's going on, and he asked the question to the disciples, why are you afraid? It seemed really obvious, but he wanted that he wanted them, he wanted to probe deeper. He wanted them to be really honest with themselves about what was going on within. And I've just, and I'm just at this place. And again, I hope you know this is open for conversation. But for me, my experience has been that curiosity and and the the willingness, the the ability to ask questions has become vital to faith. I think it is. it can be vital to faith because I think that it shows that we are honest. I do also think that it shows that we are fully engaging in the process. The process, I suppose, is becoming more like Jesus. That's, that's the goal. And I think questions and curiosity are vital to the exercise and the growing of our faith. Um, just last night, I was reflecting on a on a conversation I had with Jackie over the over the weekend, I was just was was sharing with her that um, I actually find myself at times concerned when Christians never have questions. I find myself like, how do you read through some of the Old Testament? How do you read through some of this? How do you even engage with what's going on in our world and not have significant questions? How can you wrestle through with the the peace that we see promised? the hope that we see promised in the scripture and then watch so much injustice and so much violence taking place across our world. 
I'm concerned when we don't have deep, deep questions around, around what's going on. The dissonance that there is between what seems to be promised and what we see going on around us. And so I think it is vital. Um, I, don't, I hope that, I don't want to beg anybody to feel guilty that if you don't, ha- if you're not having questions, that I'm concerned about you. I just think there's some stuff that is that almost naturally comes if you're fully, if you're being really honest and you're fully engaged uh, with what's going on, with what's going on within, as much as what's going on with without. And I think that when we pose our questions, and maybe even particularly the darker ones. We've talked about that several times, that there's some really dark questions that the psalmist asks, um, especially in those psalms of lament. When we pose the questions, particularly the darker ones, to God, it can be, it can be an act of faith, and perhaps the greatest, perhaps the greatest act of faith. I suppose I'm saying all of that by in some sort of way of introduction, because I still want us to go to the questions that Jesus asks. And I think Jesus' questions, I think, I think he did it deliberately. His questions make us squirm. They make us wriggle. They make us really uncomfortable at times because he's calling us out. Calling us out, not, not, not to call us out to shame us or to point the finger. He's calling us out his questions are to, to call us out for our own good. We are often, and I can speak for myself, I'm not going to put this on everybody else, but I think I can be content at times to keep things on the surface. But sometimes Jesus' questions don't allow for that. His questions don't allow to keep things on the surface. He doesn't want that. And so his questions come in order to make us squirm, in order to call us out for our good and actually for his glory. And so this morning uh, I want to reflect on a character that is uh, maybe outside of Jesus that is spoken of the most, or maybe Paul. Anyway, Peter, I want to talk about Peter for a moment. Um, this all or nothing character that we, uh, that we see much of throughout the Gospels. Um, all or nothing. The thing that I feel sorry for Peter I've maybe said this before, we, it's his nothing moments that we remember the most. It's his sinking that he becomes famous for. That's his reputation. Not that he was the only one bold enough and brave enough to get up and, and take this act of faith. We remember his sinking. We remember his denial. I suppose it's that that I want to, to consider because I feel there's part of me just feels Peter gets a bit of a raw deal because we remember his nothing moments whenever there was lots of really good moments where he was fully all in. I want to think about the um, John chapter 18. If you have your Bible or your, or your phone and you, you want to maybe not read a whole, all of it, but just if you know, the, get, an, get an idea of the, the place in the story where, um, where I want us to consider. In John chapter 18, where we have the story of Peter's first denial, as it, as it says in my Bible. And then a few verses down in verse 25 of chapter 18, Peter's second and third denial. And so I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I suppose I'm offering this to you 
as I've reflected on this over the last few days, I sometimes think that we, we, uh, we're really critical of how Peter denied Jesus because he was, fear, he was in fear. He was maybe, he denied Jesus because he was in fear for his life. That he denied Jesus because he was ashamed of him. And so I just want to ask the question this morning, like, is that true? Is that what, it, is that what was going on? Did he deny Jesus those three times because he feared for his life? Did he deny because he was ashamed of being associated with Jesus? And I'm just, I'm just not sure if that's true because if we come back to the start of chapter 18, uh, it's not the start of chapter 18, it's verse 10. Jesus is about to be arrested. And verse 10 tells us that um, Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, and he struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. So I'm just not sure that Peter denied because he was af- afraid for his life. I don't think he denied because he was ashamed of, being, of, being, of standing with Jesus, because only hours earlier, Peter risks his life and loyalty to Jesus. When nobody else moves, this, become, this becomes a theme throughout the, the, the narrative we have of the disciples. When nobody else moves, Peter moves. And he's not going to stand by and watch Jesus being taken away. He's not going to stand by and, and watch Jesus being treated unfairly. And so he reacts. No risks his life. There's a, there's a crowd of men have gathered here. They're, they're out in, in their full regalia. They're ready. They come looking like they're ready for a fight. And so Peter's ready to, he's ready to go toe-to-toe. He has no fear for his life. And he whips his sword out and he takes the ear off the high priest's servant. I don't think he's fearful of his life. I don't think he's ashamed to stand with Jesus. I think the next, what Peter then hears from the lips of Jesus begin to have an impact on what takes place in Peter's mind. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. And so Peter, who was ready to take the sword to defend Jesus, ready to fight for Jesus, he's then rebuked for for this action. He was rebuked for it. But even at that, let's go with, let's follow the story. Because everyone else had deserted Jesus. And again, that's why I think we're, we can give Peter a hard time. Everyone else had gone. Jesus, Peter was still there. In spite of this moment, when he was ready to fight for Jesus, he's rebuked for it and, and, and Jesus actually heals the man that is out to arrest him, out to take him, uh, out to take him to be judged. So Peter still follows. He still follows right into the courtyard. He still follows right into the, the thick of things. And I know we're, we're, we're speculating here. Go with me if you can. 
I'm wondering, was, as Peter followed, he still followed because he's still captivated by Jesus. Still given so much of his last number of years to, to following him and to learning from him. Maybe he found himself, as he was following right into the thick of things, when everybody else had been deserted, that he started to think, why, why is Jesus offering no resistance? Why, did, why would Jesus rebuke me for fighting back, for defending him, for showing uh, like undivided loyalty? What's going on? Because we know as we follow through the story of the Gospels, we see often how the, how the disciples, uh, every time you think they've got it, they, they really don't. So Peter continued to walk around the courtyard with all of these feelings, the bitterness, I think, maybe, of disappointment. Maybe doubts that had been fueled by all of his expectations being ripped apart. Because this is not, I think, what Peter would have been expecting. And a few weeks back, uh, um, I had a chance to share uh, from Matthew 3 with friends of ours who lead a church in Craigavon. And I was talking about John the Baptist in Matthew 3, verses 11 to 17. And John the Baptist gives these fiery images of what it's going to be like when, when, when Jesus comes. He's, he's going to come, he's going to baptize with fire, he's going to have the the winnowing fork or the pitchfork in his hand and he's going to be using it to, to, to clean the, the place up. John presents a, an image of, of Jesus that then is, seems to be uh, almost contradicted whenever Jesus goes through the waters of baptism and he comes up out of the waters and the Spirit descends on Jesus in the form of a dove. Symbol of peace. So John had an expectation that, that the one who was going to come, the one that they'd been waiting for, was going to come and set up his kingdom with fire. He was going to set up his kingdom with his pitchfork in his hand, clearing the wheat, separating the wheat from the chaff. They had this expectation of what the Messiah would be like. They had this expectation of what the Messiah would, would do. We follow on in John, John the Baptist's story. He ends up in prison. And when his disciples come, to, when John's disciples come to visit him, they, he, John the Baptist, sends them back to Jesus, asking the question, like, are you the one that we've been waiting for? Because all the expectations that John had, he wondered if he got it wrong about Jesus. As he, as he was in his prison cell, also uh, fueled, his doubts fueled by expectations that have been ripped apart. The bitterness of disappointment, he wondered if he'd got it wrong about Jesus because that's not what he was expecting. And maybe Peter was thinking the same thing. As he walked in the courtyard, this, the, the, the reaction of Jesus to this his sword coming out in order to fight, he's maybe, that's maybe going through his mind. He's maybe thinking, have we hoped? Have I put my hope in the wrong one? 
And maybe ask the question like John, or is there one that's still to come? And maybe you think I'm being too lenient towards Peter because he still he did deny. I'm not like I'm not denying that that Peter denied, but I just wonder was was that just the most honest response that he could offer in that moment? And so whenever the people came and said, "Are you following Jesus?" Whenever we read it through and through the account, "Are you following Jesus?" No, I'm not. But I wonder if we were to see that reenacted. And he's asked the question and he's fueled by all of these doubts with expectations ripped apart. Like is he, is there, there's a more of a wrestle, I'm convinced there's more of a wrestle going on than just a simple no. I think his no was the most honest response that he had at that moment. I think it was a disillusioned no. Because I think in his head he still had no space for this type of king. Still could not reconcile the, the king that they were expecting to, the, to, to, the, to this Jesus that continued to defy all of the expectations of what the Messiah would do and what the Messiah would be like. It's awful. It's awful just to skip past. And it's great that we've sang the songs this morning that we've sang. But we skip past uh, chapters 18, 19, and 20. Jesus dies and he is buried, and he is raised to life. And we come to John 21. In John 21, Jesus appears to some of the disciples as they have went back out fishing. And I love, I love, the, I love the, the image that is in my head of this moment, that Jesus is preparing breakfast for the disciples that are out fishing. He's preparing the fire. He's getting it ready for them coming in with their 153 fish. These disciples that had just returned to what they knew. And even though that Jesus is, is risen from the dead, I still think they're wondering, what, what is this going to mean for me? And so probably still not, not sure. They returned to the only thing that they knew. And Jesus comes and he meets them there and he prepares the fire. And he gets ready to share breakfast with them. I just love the humanity of this, of this moment. And I love then that Jesus, again, we're not dismissing that, that Peter has denied. We're not dismissing that he's made mistakes but Jesus pulls Peter to the side and he doesn't address his denial. He beautifully does not point out his faults. And I imagine that Jesus, if anybody was going to give the best sermon on faith and doubt, it would have been Jesus, but he doesn't even do that. And I imagine that Peter, in this moment, must be filled with questions of his own. And so he doesn't, rather than even addressing all of Peter's inevitable questions, Jesus asks one of his own. And as I started off our time with 
with, with Jackie last week, I said that about questions, I think Jesus asked, apparently it's 307. He asked so many questions because it was central to his work of befriending. And he turns and he asks this question to Peter. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Again, I imagine Jesus could have, his question could have been, how could you? Why did you? Should you not have? But his question was, do you love me? And I don't think it's, I think we've maybe talked before about how some of the questions that Jesus asks are rhetorical. that They don't need a, an answer, but I think it is really important. It was really important for Peter, and I think it is hugely important for us that we know that this question is not rhetorical because Jesus wants to know. And as we think of all that's going on in our world right now, all of, all of the things that, that cause, that can cause the bitterness of disappointment to feel so real, to have our doubts fueled by expectations being ripped apart, And there's many questions that we would maybe have for Jesus, but I think he comes with, to us even in these days asking the same question and wanting to hear our response. Do you love me? And each time, I suppose the response is slightly tweaked every time, but it's, well, in that case, feed my lambs. And he asks a second time, because I think he's wanting to. Because I think if we were asked the question, we we're content to keep it on the surface, and so it automatically. I think if, if it's me, I'll automatically. If Jesus asked me, "Do you love me?" I'll automatically say yes. But he wants to. He wants to probe deeper. He wants to move beyond my contentness with keeping it on the surface. Do you love me? Take care of my sheep. And the third time, do you love me? And then Jesus says, feed my sheep. And just, I was reflecting on this last night in the, in the marquee as we listened to um, the Belfast Community Gospel Choir. I was wondering, did, did Peter in these moments, as, as Jesus asked the question and then said these words, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, did Peter's mind go to that to that moment that Jesus talked about being the good shepherd in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 11, and you can read it right through. But Jesus talks about, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, it says in verse 15. And I know my own sheep, and they know me just as my Father knows me, and I know the Father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I wonder if that's what, I wonder if that's what was going on. I wonder if, if Jesus kept asking that question, do you love me? And, and the cogs were turning in Peter's mind. That as he considered his response, he began to move away from 
what love, what love in Jesus looked like was no longer the way of the sword, but the way of the cross. To be able to say yes to that question was moving Peter from, um, from loving him the way of the sword to loving him by the way of the cross, which meant saying yes to sacrifice. Do you love me? It was saying yes to sacrifice. It was saying yes to laying down your life for others. It was saying yes to other-centered love. And so I do believe, I think, I feel like that's in all of my frustrations and all of my questions and all of what's going on at times in my head and all that's going on around us, I just have felt that that's maybe just a question for me and I'm, I'm offering it to all of you this morning that maybe that's the question, the simple question, well, it sounds simple, but the question that he's asking of us, and it's not rhetorical, guys, it's, he's wanting an answer. And the yes to that question is going to look like laying down your life for others. It's going to look like turning yourself towards the other. And, um, and that is, that's love so amazing. It's so divine. It demands our soul and our life and our all. Um, so let me pray if that's okay. Father, um, I, again, I come back where we started and just thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he is the image of the invisible God. He is the one that we look at. He is the one that we, that we worship. He's the one that we adore. He is the one that is holding all things together. That everything finds your place in him. That everything finds your place through him. Father, I just pray that you would, uh, God, you would do something in our hearts, within our very the depths of our very beings today, God, that we would be able to know that we know that we love you. That that our yes to that question is not just um, in in saying it, but it's in it's in doing it. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us just to be able to continue to. Uh, we do deep work within us. God, we continue to shape and mold us and heal and restore us. And help us, God, just to continue to be ones that would look to the other. Within the four walls of this room, within uh, the four walls of our own homes. God, within the, the surroundings of our neighborhood and our communities. Yeah, Father, I just pray you bless our time goes long and that you would just be pleased with uh, with what we've offered in worship, with what we're with what we're pursuing as we look to you. And God, it is with with sincerity, God, that I pray that anything that is just my own feelings and inadequacies, God, that is that, that is spewing out, God, that that would be. Um, God, it would just be forgotten supernaturally. Um, but God, anything that is of you, God, that it would, that it would stick, it would hold. And um, yeah, God, so continue to lead us. God, allow us to, to continue to love and live and learn with you and with one another. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Thanks, everyone. Great to be together. Enjoy the rest of your day. Um, the fun fair opens tomorrow. It's not open on Sundays. You'd be glad to know. So, uh, yeah, have a good week. <laughs>